today is a day that we're thinking about the 4th of July. We're, we got some wonderful shirts today. Thank you, Becky and Ronnie. Y'all are awesome. I love those shirts. Red, white, and blue, the American flag. And, you know, we, we want to keep America as a place that is a city on a hill that its light shines out to the rest of the world. Are we going to maintain that? Are we going to be able to claim that for much longer if we don't change quickly, if there's not major revival in this country? So normally on 4th of July or you know, whatever, whatever Sunday falls closest to 4th of July, I usually do a 4th of July message. And um, I'm going to do a little bit of one but there's so much going on and there's so much that I've been preparing and it's just hard to, to get it all done. We, uh, we just need, we need, uh, you know, Ronnie's got a great idea of having, you know, a sermon time and then having a cookout and then coming back in and, and doing another hour sometime because I never seem to have enough time to get everything uh, done with what I'm studying and just the things that are happening in this in this country. So, most important thing first, I'm going to be talking about different places in the Bible, so I don't really know. Be ready in Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20, be ready for that. I, I would like for you to see that. <clears throat> Now, I've been thinking about the sin of silence. The sin of silence. Now, if you remember last week, one of the verses that I talked about was Proverbs 24, 10, 11, and 12. Now, what that proverb says is that, are you, are you, are, are you listening? Are, can you, can, are you hearing what I'm saying? I want to make sure everybody, you know, we start turning in your Bibles and, and then I say half of what I say, then you miss it. You don't understand the point. Um, some of you have uh, attention deficit disorder probably. That's just a, oh, sorry, I don't, I don't know anything about y'all. So she's like, how did you know that? They've been telling on me. <laughs> See, my, my wife sitting right behind you, she's that way. She hears she hears every other word that I say. And that it would get you in trouble. It's kind of like the commercial, that the cell phone commercial, where it's, it only gets every other word. And Tom Brady's talking to his you know, former tight end, and he's saying that he's retired, but he thinks he's not now, so he's got to get back. You know, that, if you've seen that commercial, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble if people only hear every other word you say. Because there's some really important words that aren't, if they're not in with what you're saying, can mean something totally different by missing one word. So, uh, Proverbs 24 says that if you see people, which in what I was talking about last week was innocent 
life inside of a womb, if you see them being led to their deaths, and you don't do anything about it, if you don't speak out against it, and then make excuses that, oh, I didn't know that was happening, you're not fooling God. You're not fooling Him because He knows your heart. He knows you. And that, that silence is a sin. So, today's message is titled, The Sin of Silence. So, as I was thinking about that, by the way, uh, I don't know why, but Todd, I, I, you know, he, he invited us to that thing yesterday. Um, the, the meeting across the street from the uh, Planned Parenthood, which I call the Altar of Molech. Uh, he invited us, but he had listened to last Sunday's message. And I don't know why he actually, you know, he listened to it. It wasn't like Beth heard it and said, hey, you got to listen to this, because she hadn't even listened to it yet. So I don't know why he went to it and listened to it, but then he said that Pastor Nick preached a message last Sunday on the sanctity of life. So I looked it up. I went to West Island Baptist website, and I clicked on sermons, and the first one that popped up, Sanctity of Life and something else, his titles are long because his sermons are long. He, he, it was like an hour and ten minute sermon. And I listened to it, and he, one of the first things he did was he apologized to his congregation of probably 250, 300 people. He said, you know my stance on abortion, you know that it comes up from time to time in my sermons, and we'll speak, we'll touch on it. But he says, I am so sorry, and I, I'm, I've asked God for forgiveness, but he said, I have never actually did a sermon based on that topic. Because he's not a topic preacher. He doesn't do topics. He's word for word. He, and a lot of times, he'll, he'll preach, he'll, he'll read one verse and preach an hour on it trying to be like Charles Spurgeon, because Charles Spurgeon is his hero. And he's pretty good at it. I'm not like that. I, I can't take, every now and then I'll do that, but most of the time I want to read more word. I want more of God's word out, and I'll just touch on it. So he preached, and, he, and you know I've preached messages like that in the past, and he's listened to at least one of them in the past. But he shared all these verses in perfect order. Everything was laid out. I wish I had more time. But he does a sermon really well. So I listened to it while I was uh, mowing here. I was, I was mowing around the church, and I listened to that sermon. So I was very happy to hear that. And Todd had forwarded him my sermon, and he said that he listened to that. Whether he really did, I don't know. I mean, he didn't actually say he listened to it. He just responded back right on the money. So maybe he listened to a few minutes of it and said, yeah, it sounds good. I, I, I really don't know. I know he's a busy person. Um, so I'm listening to Wall Builders this past week. Wall Builders, it's a, it's a radio show that comes out real early, early in the morning, but I listen to the podcast later in the day when it comes up on my phone. And they had Bill Federer on there. William Federer. Y'all know him? Well, he, he wrote this book many, many years ago called America's God and Country. Well, he's on Wall Builders. And whenever he shows up on Wall Builders, it's not very often, but when he does show up on there and he is speaking on something, 
I usually, it's, it's a 27-minute podcast, and I listen to it. I listen to all of them. But when he's on there, I'll listen to it two, three, four, five times because I love this guy. <clears throat> and guess what he, what he, why he was on there? He was talking about the sin of silence. And I went, wow. So he started bringing up scriptures. He, he, said, he said that Christ, people who call themselves Christians self-censor. 77% of the people who say they are Christians, they self-censor. It's bad enough that we have all these other people trying to censor our speech, trying to stop us from, from speaking out, but we do it ourselves, and that is a sin of silence. <clears throat> Remember when, uh, well, if you, if, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you can write this down, Numbers 30. If you ever go to Numbers 30, that whole chapter is about a, a woman making a vow, and if the father holds his peace, which means he doesn't say anything against it, then he's, he's uh, um, consenting to it. And it's over, and it's all these different examples of a vow being made. And if the father says, no, absolutely not, then the girl, the daughter, or the wife, or whoever it might be, then she doesn't have to keep the vow. It's not a sin. According to God, it's not a sin. Even though she made a vow, if the father speaks up, so if my daughter gets invited to the a beach trip with some other family and I don't want her to leave my family, I don't want her to be gone, if that situation was to pop up and she really wants to go and they finally get up enough nerve to ask me, if I don't immediately say, absolutely not, you're not leaving, but I just, I'm thinking about it, that silence is saying, you can go. When a man and a woman get married, and they come up to the front here, and the preacher says, if, is there anybody here who has anything they want to say that may be against this wedding? Silence, that means no one. Everybody is consenting to the marriage by the silence. You're consenting to it. When little babies are being taken to Planned Parenthood, and we say nothing, that means we're consenting to it. When the Jewish people were taken by the, German, the Nazi Germans and they were taken to the uh, concentration camps, there were so many Christians who said nothing. Their silence allowed it to happen. You see how serious it is? How serious silence can be. Remember when Moses was told to speak to the rock, where in the past he had hit the rock with the rod and the water came forth and all the people were about to thirst to death, they were able to drink. And later on they came into that same situation and God told Moses and Aaron, remember it was Moses and Aaron, 
Moses represents the prophets who spoke the word of God, who led the people, but Aaron represents the priestly tribe, the, the people that uh, were, would know Scripture and would keep people in line. So Moses and Aaron were told to speak to the rock. And what did they do? Moses ended up hitting the rock. It says he hit it twice. And then by the time you get to the end of that story, God is telling Aaron, you will not enter into the promised land. And you, they took him up on the mountain, and Moses was to take his clothes and put him on another. Was, was it his son? Or it was another person that was going to... So, so Aaron, what did he do wrong? He didn't hit the rock. Moses is the one that did the bad thing. So what's wrong? Why, why is Aaron receiving the same punishment as Moses? He never said anything. The sin of silence. He was held just as accountable as Moses. And neither one of them went into the promised land. Now let's go to uh, Leviticus. You should be there. I told you that a long time ago. Leviticus 20. And I told y'all to go there and I didn't. I thought I had it marked. All right, Leviticus 20. Oh, and remember last week how we talked about the altar of Molech? Uh, do not let your seed or your little ones pass through the fire of Molech. And then we were talking about Pride Month and what, what is involved with Pride Month. We talked about those two different things, and, and I didn't realize it. I mentioned this on Wednesday night, but for those who, who, who aren't here on Wednesday nights, when I went, to, the, when I went uh, to do Bible study at the jail on Tuesday, I went to, I knew, I knew 1822, what it said, neither shalt, ne, neither shalt thou lie with any beast, no, no, 22, ne, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, it is abomination. I knew that verse, and I wanted to make sure I shared that with the guys at the jail, but look at the verse right before it. Molech. It's talking about, that's the verse that he's referring to, Molech. So they're side by side. Now, wouldn't that have been a good one to, to show y'all last week? But I, I didn't go there. But I did on Tuesday because I had a different kind of crowd. Those uh, guys that are locked up in the jail, they're a different crowd. So uh, just that, that just, I just wanted to say something about that real quick while we were so close. Now, Leviticus 20, starting with verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... Again, thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. See? See what I'm talking about? What I, what I share. So if somebody's listening to this on the podcast, they don't understand what I'm talking about. But because of what I shared during Joys and Concerns, y'all know what I'm talking about. This verse right here. Anybody who would allow their seed, their little child, to pass through the fire of Molech, 
They need to be killed and stone them with stones. I like it. And here's my excuse. This is what I'm supposed to do, right? And then let's keep reading. And I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he hath given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. Now, all right, just for, I know there's some people in here today that don't understand Molech. Molech was a pagan god. He was chiseled out of stone. He was a big statue, and he had arms that were, out, that were stretched out to receive the little babies that were conceived nine months before at a very sinful pagan ritual. And so the, they brought the babies back and laid the babies on the arms, and there was this roaring fire underneath in the belly of this rock statue and the babies would wiggle off the hot arms and fall into the fire. That's what Molech was. That was a little g god that the pagan people back in that day, they worshipped him, and they did that thing. Yeah, it's real. It's real. And they were told not to do it, and if anybody took their little babies back for that practice, they were to be stoned to death, and... and uh, and they're profaning the holy name of God by doing, doing it. And then four, and if the people of the land do any way, listen to this, and if the people of the land do any ways hide their eyes from the man when he giveth of his seed unto Molech and kill him not. Now, these people are hiding, they're, they're closing their eyes to it. Now, here's... See, this verse gives me the... i got to be careful what I say on this podcast, you know, because this is going to be on a podcast. But that gives me the right to kill that person who's murdering these little babies. And that's when Joseph said, Do not repay evil with evil, Dad. And that's when Todd brought up, Hey, we're under a new covenant. You can't go kill people. And I'm like, Come on, guys. That's why it is so important that when we teach out of the Old Testament that we kind of know what's in the New Testament. You've got to make sure that uh, we see what it's like in the New Testament under the New Covenant. <clears throat> Jesus, like, like Michelle said when she was singing that song, you know, Jesus, he is, he's not standing around petting lambs all day. He, he didn't do that. He did some rough stuff. But he did it perfectly, and we need to be like him. He was a lion when he needed to be, and he was a lamb when he needed to be. He knew how to handle every situation, and we have the Word of God, and we're supposed to be like him as much as we possibly can. Verse 5 says, Then I will set my face against that man and against his family and will cut him off, and all that go a whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech from among their people. Any time that you worship an idol, no matter what it is, if you put any person ahead of God, that means you're committing idolatry with that person. If there's anything you like or love more than God, that is idolatry. People say, well, we don't do that idolatry stuff anymore. We don't make uh, wooden images and carve things out of stone and all that. Oh, no, we have way more, way more today. But it's socially acceptable. 
and, and as t time goes on, the thing, that, the thing that shocked us 10 years ago, now it's no big deal. We've moved on to more and more horrible things. So the thing that we were fighting against 10 years ago, people don't even mention it anymore. But, it's, but it was a horrible sin 10 years ago. But now we're silent on it. Because the devil has got us occupied with other things now. But the fact that we did not stand up against it, we didn't speak out against it 10 years ago, now it's become normal in our land. It's still just as hideous of a sin as it was 10 years ago. But you have more and more people, more and more churches, more and more pastors who won't even touch on those things. Now, churches have failed America. The, the, the story of Jeremiah, when he brought the, the leaves, which would be the, the papers, the, he wrote out what God had said. Jeremiah wrote it out. And uh, he had a scribe that actually did the writing. Jeremiah heard from the Lord, and he spoke it, and then was it Bar Baruch? He, he wrote it down. They eventually, they get it to people. They, they finally, uh, I got another Bible here. I got it marked. All right, this is Jeremiah 36. I'm going I'm to read from 21 to 24. So the king sent Jehudai, again, you can correct me if I say these names wrong, to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishamah, the scribe's chamber. So there's a different scribe. And Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Now, the, uh, people say, well, the word, I, I say that my King James Bible is the inerrant Word of God. I think it's the perfect Word of God translated in English because God said He would preserve His Word. So I trust it. Well, there's many people who don't. They, they say, well, maybe this one's right, that one's right. Uh, well, over time, humans have copied it, and it's, got, it's not all right. Well, there's doubt and confusion right there. Okay, so people will say, if you look at churches' uh, statements of faith and different things, you will see how they get around it, they'll say that they believe that um, the Word of God is perfect and errant, and they just talk all about how wonderful the Word of God, God is in the originals. Oh, in the originals. Okay. So you don't trust anything we have today, but you trust what's in the originals. Where's the originals? Are there any originals left? What about the original of Jeremiah? It got cut up with a penknife and thrown in the fire. Well, then there had to be original number two. God said, Jeremiah, go back and rewrite this. He's like, oh, okay. And, and, and with some enhancements. So the original number two was a little better than original number one. 
And guess what happened to original number two? It was not accepted, and it was thrown in the river. I think the Euphrates. It's, it's, it's down in the bottom of the Euphrates. So then, Jeremiah had to do, we know he did original at least number three because it's in our Bibles. So which original do you want? God said he would preserve his word. Okay, now notice what happens after they uh, burned it. In 24, it says, Yet they were not afraid nor rent their garments. If somebody was to take the Bible in front of you as a Christian, and they took the Bible and they tossed it into their fireplace and burned it, what would you do? What if somebody just talked bad about your Bible? and said that, oh, it's not wrong here, it contradicts itself, blah, 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 you know, what are you going to do? Well, maybe. If somebody, somebody comes to you with a hard place in the Bible, what are you going to do? Are you going to be like the king? See, you know, I always thought that Jeremiah is the one who threw it in the fire. Well, because he allowed it to happen, yeah, he actually did. He was the king. Jehoiakim. It was actually this person that was reading. They got sick of reading it after three to four leaves and cut it up with a penknife and threw it in. But all the princes and the king himself, it says in 24, it says, Yet they were not afraid nor rent their garments. When, when, when something really bad happened, they would, they would tear their clothes to show the anguish that they were in. And it says here they didn't do that. They just sat there said nothing, and didn't show any kind of remorse that that had just happened to the Word of God. Neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Another example of people who should have stood up for the Word of God that did not. The sin of silence. Realize how many places in the Word of God that talks about silence and how that cons you are consenting. When, remember when Stephen was preaching that awesome message and he was going to get stoned to death? There was a young man who was taking all the gar outer garments of the people who were taking up stones. And when that, that, that guy was Saul of Tarsus, but he, later he, his name was changed to Paul. Paul, our beloved Paul, who wrote so many of the epistles in our Bible. And it, in Acts... 22, he's recounting that scene. He can't get away from it. It's still in his mind. That he, and, it, and it says that he brings up the innocent blood of Stephen. And he said that he was guilty of it. Paul didn't throw any stones. But it says that he was consenting unto the death of God's man. The person who is preaching this wonderful message, convicting, t burning, burning the hearts of these, of these Jewish people. And Paul stood by and watched it and never said a word about it. That means he was consenting to the death. He was just as guilty as the people who threw the stones. Just another example. <clears throat> All right. We got time. We got time. I'm going to read just a few things out of this book. This uh, America's God and Country. Now you know that I don't think 
America is doing a very good job right now. You, you already know that. You know, I, I like to, I, in the past, I have bragged on America. I've tried to show that it was a Christian nation from its beginning. How the founding fathers, it doesn't matter how messed up they were, how good they were, they had, they, we had some really good ones who had things figured out. We had some that were not so good. But they all seemed to have something very much in common. They had a fear of the Lord, the fear of the Almighty God, and that one day you are going to get a, go to a place of reward or you're going to go to a place of damnation. They had that common belief. Some of them thought that God wasn't really involved with anybody anymore because they saw all the evils of the world and a, and a loving God should come down and, and wipe those things out. That's why when we were praying Saturday morning, you know, I prayed for lightning bolts. Because I can't go over and do anything. But I'm like, God, you got those lightning bolts. They were, yeah. You, you can do something about it. So we pray for God to take care of those things. And he does from time to time. I can't explain why he doesn't do it all the time other than the fact that he is testing us and see where we are. And do we speak out? Do we fight the battles with prayer and putting on the whole armor of God? Are we going to have relationship with him? Because he uses people to do his things but then there's certain things he says, vengeance is mine. He will repay. He can do a way better job than I could do. If I try to, if I try to uh, step in for God and do the vengeance part, I'm just going to end up in jail, and it's not going to be done near as good as he can do it. We must rightly divide the word of God, the word of truth. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, he said, God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are of the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with His wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just that his justice cannot sleep forever. Now, he was supposed to be a deist, uh, someone who thought that, yeah, there's a God. It's pretty obvious that there's a God. Look at, look at the earth. Look at, look at the stars and the heavens. Thomas Jefferson's like, yeah, there's a God. He created all, these, all this stuff. But he's, he must be busy with other things, you know, if he was really a deist. I don't know if he really was. But it sounds to me like he knew that God... Was, was being long-suffering, and he was not giving us the, uh, the wrath that he should have been giving us, but he knew that God's justice cannot sleep forever. <clears throat> okay, uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt. Western states, y'all probably learn about him a little more than others, possibly. He was born in 1858, died in 1919. He was the 26th president of the United States. He was a soldier, author, and Nobel Prize winner. In his, let's see, let's see, let's see, all right. Uh, all right, in 1909, he said this, as president, he said this. 
progress or prosperity has brought us both unbounded opportunities and unbridled difficulties. Thus, the measure of our civilization will not be that we have done much, but what, but what we have done with that much. What do we do with the prosperity God gives us? Is it just for selfish, or do we use it for good, is what he was saying. I believe... Remember, this is 1909. Theodore Roosevelt said, I believe that the next half century will determine if we will advance the cause of Christian civilization. This is the President of the United States. People say that we're supposed to be uh, separate. The church and the government are supposed to be separate. Haven't you ever heard of... Uh, the, the, what is it, the separation of church and state. You know, non-believers, people who don't like going to church and being with other believers, they love that quote. They love separation of church and state. And then you ask them where that statement came from, and they'll even say things like, well, it's in the First Amendment. It's not at all. That statement came about 13 years after the Declaration of Independence, or the with the Bill of Rights, it was 13 years after the, the First Amendment, when the First Amendment was done, not the Declaration, but the First Amendment. It was 13 years after. And Thomas Jefferson was writing to the Danbury Baptist because they were worried that government had too much control and that they were going to end up making everybody be a whatever they picked. Because in England, everybody had to be an Anglican. And in Virginia, everybody had to be an Anglican. And Thomas Jefferson said, no, it shouldn't be that way. Because I really like what those Baptist people up there are saying. And I like what these Methodist people, you know, back when John Wesley was, was around, and George Whitfield and all those people, back when Method, Methodist was good, he said, I like what they say. And we can't have a state religion. That's all he was talking about was separation of church and state. That we won't allow the government to tell you how you worship. That's all it meant. But yet we today say separation of church and state. So I'm not supposed to say anything about what might be perceived as political because I am mixing church and state. When all of these presidents that I would read about out of this book, they all said that if you get God and religion out of government, it will fail. It's going to collapse. Because when you push God out, all of those terrible pagan gods will come in. And we've seen it in America. They've all come back. All the pagan gods. Now, when, uh, when Mickey was still around, remember Mickey Apgar? One of the very last preachings that he ever did. When I, when I started coming to this church, I kind of took the role of filling in for a pastor. You, you, you've noticed that over the years, that uh, people would pick me. I actually came and spoke here three times before I ever started coming here. Something started happening. I was being invited to come and, and, and uh, preach messages here. And then when I started coming here, Mickey loved it because he loved to hear me preach. 
But what it makes me sad is I wish I would have heard more of his preaching. And the last message he did, and I wasn't here for it, but I got the CD. And Mickey preached a message about uh, Matthew 12, 43 through 45, talking about when a person is a godly person, they believe. It was a parable that Jesus gave, and he says when... Let's, all right, you have, a, you have a spirit, a bad spirit's in you, an unclean spirit is in you, and you get delivered of that. And that spirit wanders around in the dryness, and then it says, I'm going to go back to my house. And he comes back and he sees the house is clean and furnished, and he goes back and he finds seven other demons worse than himself, and he brings them and they all move in. That was the last message that Mickey preached. And I still remember it. Listening to it years ago, I still remember it was a warning of what's happening in our churches and in America because people, they, 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 they have an opportunity to get those bad things out, but they fail to let Jesus in. And when the bad things see that it's empty, Nature cannot stand a void, and the little g-gods will come back and will fill that house. And it will be seven times worse than it was before. If you push God out of your government, out of your schools, if you push God out, I don't have to tell you what's going to happen, because you can see it for yourselves. So to finish up with what uh, Roosevelt said, he said, the next half century will determine if we will advance the cause of Christian civilization, how dare him, or revert to the horrors of brutal paganism. Wow. The thought of modern industry in the hands of Christian charity is a dream worth dreaming. We've got airplanes, we can fly over to those countries and do missionary work. We can get there in, in a day compared to weeks and weeks on a ship. I mean, all these things of modern industry in the hands of the Christians, wonderful. The thought of industry in the hands of paganism is a nightmare beyond imagining. Computers, internet, in the hands of paganism will ruin you. The filth of pornography is right at people's fingertips. They can find it in a second. This is 1909, a former president. The choice between the two is upon us, is what he said. Theodore Roosevelt. And there's others I, I would have liked to have read, but we, if you've noticed, we have uh, the com communion plates up here. And I meant to mention it earlier, just so you'd, you'd be preparing yourselves. Um, since we're running late, I, I would like for... I, I don't want you to think that these sacraments... We call them sacraments. Why? Why do we call these, these things sacraments? Now, we're instructed as Christians in two things. 
Jesus himself wanted us to, as Christians, once we truly believe, he wanted us to go through the ritual of water baptism. Notice that water baptism happens one time. Well, at least it should happen one time. Being sprinkled as a little baby doesn't count. I've met many people. The Methodists follow along with the Roman Catholics that you sprinkle a little baby, when, you know, sprinkle their head when they're little and they're good and they're in, the, they're in the church and they're in the kingdom of God. Absolutely not. And I've had to look at Methodist people who were very involved in their churches and when you talk about water baptism, well, I got sprinkled as a baby. And I'm, I'm looking at them going, uh, sorry, but that doesn't cut it. Since you have believed on your own, you need to be water baptized. And that's being totally dunked under the water and brought back up. You are saying in that that I believe that Jesus was slain, buried, and rose again. And I'm identifying with that by being slain under the water, resurrected, and now you're going to walk in newness of life. That's baptism. The sacraments we do the whole time we're Christians, frequently. Why? We're, we're saved once, truly saved one time. You can't be resaved. You can't go through a spiritual baptism again and again and again. It's either happened for, for real or not. But always remembering what Jesus did for us to give us that ability to be born again. We always remember, and we're feeding on Him throughout our life. So we participate in communion. <clears throat> Me to pray over this doesn't make it holy. It doesn't make it anything different. Every person in here, this is a time right now, you have been invited to the Lord's Supper. Every time I pick up this and I have you come up and take it from me, something's in me saying this is not right. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just another believer like you are. There's nothing special about me. So this really needs to be... Remember several months ago how I did it? I was, some people have a hard time coming up here on their own and... But I really felt like that was the way we should do it. Each person is between you and God. If you don't feel like you should participate in communion, you don't have to. When we did it that way, we had a couple here that were new. And I took the bread and the juice and I went over there and I kneeled down and I prayed. And I didn't look to see anybody else coming up here. I could hear the movement, but I didn't know who came up and who didn't. If I take these plates up and we walk out and we walk up to you, then you feel obligated to take it. And I want you to be able to reflect on your life and how you're living if you don't feel like, and I don't want anybody else to be looking to see who is getting communion or not. It's a personal thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, as we um, 
go from this place today, I pray that we would be a people who would uh, just want to carry your ways out into the world, that we would be a people that would speak, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. Father, that when we see these, these sinful things that are happening in our country and in our communities, that we would speak out, that we would let people know that we don't consent to that sin by sharing what the Word of God says. Father, be with each and every person that's here. Bless them. Be with them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.